Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 274 for October 1st, 2023. Tonight we're going to be discussing PC game releases for October Thrawn and the return to the Star Wars Galaxy. Two faults, one catastrophe. Email about gift card scam feels like gift card scam. A follow-up of the Apple could create a search engine. How about bed pods for $700 a month? We'll talk about the 2023 solar eclipse ring of fire. Healthcare is about to strike. The inspiration for the Sorcerer's Apprentice. And October feels like VR month. All that and more on Hometown Daily. Hey, yeah, so I'm not sure what all is going to happen with the music because it's actually apparently kind of ambient, creepy because it's Halloween season. This is the first day of October and I'm in the mood for spooky. Maybe we'll ramp up everything until uh, Halloween where it'll just be a, a stream where I just scream into the microphone and look at my paycheck. No, wait. That's a little too real. All right. You want to get into the articles, or do you have anything that you want to add to it? No, let's go to the articles. Let's get going. This is sounding spooky. Yes, it is. I'm kind of scared. I'm scared. Uh, the first article is over in Warcrafters. The PC game releases we're most excited about in October. It's from PC Gamer. And I don't, you know, I really dig it. So I'm just going to go straight on over to the article and, and not uh, not do too much of my own vamping from the, the little snippet. Because the snippet talks about Baldur's Gate 3 Starfield. Um. So Tyler Wild over at PCGamer.com put the article together. And it says here um, that uh, Baldur's Gate 3, Starfield, Cyberpunk 2077, Phantom Liberty form a tough triple feature to follow. But that was last month. What about this month? October is doing its damnedest to keep us in our desk chairs. Maybe on our desk chairs. I'm not really in my desk chair. Um, with a new Assassin's Creed, the sequel to one of the best city builders ever and a follow-up to a Remedy cult classic. That's hardly anything October's bringing. So let's look at what else is coming. So October's big PC release dates. Assassin's Creed Mirage is coming October 5th. Total War Pharaoh, October 11th. Lords of the Fallen, which is one that I'm looking for, um, or forward to, uh, October 13th. Lord of the Rings Return to Moria, October 24th. Cities Skylines 2, which I've already got on pre-order. Alan Wake 2, October 27th. And then there's a whole bunch of others. More games releasing in October, and they just go on and on from October 3rd to the 31st. Ghost Runner 2, which is a cyberpunk first-person parkour game. Agatha Christie, Murder on the Orient Express. These are all Steam games, too. So, uh, 
I'm looking forward. Wizard with a gun. Um, looks like fun. I've played some of that. Uh, that looks like fun. Um, Hellboy Web of Weird or Word. I think it's weird, though. It that is one, very weird. That That's going to be fun. Um, I wish that there was more Hellboy movies, but I don't know. And uh, Lamplighters League. People were playing uh, recently. It looks like XCOM, uh, basically, but set in a like a it says pulpy 30s steampunk era kind of a thing um looks pretty fun uh, but i haven't seen battle shapers so anyway uh this looks like it's going to be a busy october for pc games but wait i'm bookending the entire show with uh, pc on one side and vr on the other so stick around Let's go over to the next article. <laughs> well, the AI is appreciating the ambient spooky music. It's very well themed. Yeah. Given that we just hit October. That's right. Um, and I started early with uh, articles about Halloween. Well, Halloween-esque kind of stuff. So this next article is over in the Continuity Report. That's another channel. Uh, there are six main categories over at hometown.com and 50 sub-channels, um, each with their own theme of news and information. Um, so feel free to go over, become a citizen. That's where you'll be able to um, hide or swipe left and right for articles. You keep them or forget them. Um, just one of those features that's just behind, basically, the, the login because, well, we can't store it for everybody. You have to have a unique ID. Anyway, um, the article is over in the Continuity Report. Grand Admiral Thrawn Theory reveals how he changes Star Wars Galaxy Forever and sets up the, the sequels. I love the idea of this. I, I, I enjoy the world building of Star Wars. Um, I hope that there is more coming. I want bigger movies. I don't want goofy things like space horses on the deck of a ship. Um, but I, I know that it's still fantastical, but there's almost, almost no limit of my ability to suspend disbelief. But horses running on the outside of a ship seems kind of dumb. That's a bit much. Yeah. So, That's like snakes on a plane territory. <laughs> there could be a lot of snakes on a plane. Horses on a spaceship. So snakes on a plane, horses on a spaceship. It all works together. Oh, before I go too far, let me throw these into the VOD. There you go. That's one. And here's the other. And now we're caught up. So let's talk about Grand Admiral Thrawn. The deck statement over at the Screen Rant article, ScreenRant.com, uh, says a new Star Wars theory suggests that Grand Admiral Thrawn will make a major impact on the galaxy while critically setting up the sequel trilogy. Kevin Erdman is the author, again, over at Screen Rant. Um, every time I see Grand Admiral Thrawn, I always say, oh, this is a little sad. He's feeling blue. Mm. He does look rather blue. Yep. And, uh, okay, so the article throws in there, warning, this post contains spoilers from Ahsoka. Uh, that's the show. And, yes, it probably will have, but it already has because 
Well, they're talking about Grand Admiral Thrawn. <laughs> um, so the summary of this is Grand Admiral Thrawn's return from exile in the Ahsoka series could lead to dire implications for the iconic Star Wars planet Coruscant. Coruscant serves as the galactic capital for the New Republic government of Ahsoka, but by the time the uh, sequel trilogy, the New Republic has left the planet and relocated to Hosnian Prime. Uh, Thrawn's return could potentially involve an attack on Coruscant, um, forcing the New Republic to evacuate and solidifying Thrawn's uh, status as a major threat to the galaxy. This event would give Filoni's Mandalorian movie significant importance in the Star Wars canon. And I think that's actually where all of this is headed. So it's ramping up until there is canon so that more movies can be made. I mean, isn't that always the goal? Well, I mean, until until streaming actually got a foothold, there wasn't anything that could be small form other than TV shows. But it, TV shows seemed to be, I don't know, a different caliber. They weren't as small. They weren't as um, focused around a particular or a specific person, right? At least as far as I could tell. I mean, Star Wars, not Star Wars, but Star Trek and many, many other shows had a whole host of people that were being discussed. Not one particular person, I suppose. It might be named after somebody, but the perspective was a multitude of people. So I think that streaming allows them to create a multitude of um, bottles around people and that can set up the big screen movies that will get turned into streaming movies later on but they'll try and tap the movie theaters although i think movie theaters are slowly dying off um so and and people will maybe you know disney will be totally on board with just streaming to the people first um who are members of you know disney tv or Disney Plus or something like that, some streaming service um, that value adds to just Disney. But Grand Admiral Thrawn is um, cast out into another galaxy. So now it's a galaxy far, far, far away, not just far, far away. And um, is somehow, and I don't want to spoil, managed to find his way back, possibly because we haven't actually seen it. Um, and there's a whole lot of complexity over there in the Ahsoka series right now. So if you haven't watched it, I'm really working hard to avoid it, uh, like spoiling it. Um, but Coruscant, this big, massive, technology-bound planet, um, things have changed since Thrawn was... Um, what's the proper word not just cast out to um like banished banished there you go he was trapped in another exiled maybe well he was trapped because um ezra was also banished and this is actually from the rebels series not from uh, the standard star wars um like uh, cinematic universe so if you haven't watched all of the animated or otherwise you're actually missing quite a bit and so kind of like lower decks lower decks on star trek 
fills in the gaps, does course corrections for the series, TV series and movies uh, canon and sets the new pace, the new location, the new place, the new mindset. Um, pretty interesting because yesterday we talked about the fact that Betazoids are actually all pretty bombastic and Deanna Troy is the only one that is kind of dry white toast. Yeah, some people like dry white toast. Anyway, currently the New Republic has taken control of Coruscant and both Ahsoka and the Mandalorian have shown that the government is hard at work establishing a new order and rule of law through the known galaxy. Not only have they been decommissioning what remains of the Empire's war machine, but they've also been reintegrating former Imperial sympathizers back into society through the New Republic Amnesty Program. However, uh, this also has bred spies and loyalists um, to the Imperial remnant within the program as seen in The Mandalorian Season 3. Now Ahsoka has confirmed that the New Republic is still based out of Coruscant. So eventually um, they will relocate because they haven't totally yet, apparently. So it says the New Republic Senate has left Coruscant uh, by the Star Wars sequel trilogy. Sorry, I have a visitor um, in <sighs> hometown. Does the AI need to address it? No, I don't think so. It's a biological issue. So anyway, we will. Um, but not anything like a hot zone, right? No. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I I'll try to keep the production value to some. Some. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what y'all don't know is um, there are other life forms in Omtown, and particularly uh, the mayoral estate. And right now, one of them is staring at a at a tv i think sizing it up for a fight i don't know well let's just move on um so thrawn is gonna come back and is gonna change the the status quo right as the new republic is trying to um as the new republic is trying to take over and stabilize but it's still like baby steps and Thrawn coming back so soon, even though it's been a considerable amount of time, um, coming back with a vengeance because there's some witches coming as well. How Halloween can we get? This is pretty fun. Anyway, this is very Halloween themed today. Um, Star Wars is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and I hope that uh, people are just kind of gobbling this stuff up and I don't start hearing about, you know, low ratings and stuff like that. Uh, but they have some really fun battles. The The battles don't look as shameless as some of the Star Wars movies, the, the new ones. Um, and um, the special effects and whatnot are all really high end. So they're not pulling any punches in the series. Um and I just like this a whole lot better because I can watch it in the comfort of my home. I don't have to buy tickets. Uh, yet you don't have to have people chomping popcorn near you. Yeah, exactly. Or worrying about COVID. The, what I really love about all of this is it's movie quality episodes, although they're shorter, right? It basically takes five of these to make one movie. Um, 
or I should say maybe a whole season to make one feature movie. But they're all individually cinematic in nature. Great story writing so far. Um, although some of them have been kind of slow, um, but that's the slow part in the movie. It doesn't make me feel like um, low budget television. It's cinematic television. Oh, really right. Like, like you feel like you're watching a movie every, every episode. Yeah. And sometimes it's so fun to watch that your 35 to 45 minutes of episode ends up feeling like it's 10 minutes and you go, where the hell did the time go? Anyway, which is a sign of a good show. Yeah. Because I mean, sometimes if you're watching something and it's dragging, right, it feels like it's a two hour episode and it's 30 minutes or something. Yeah, I dig. Uh, so I dig this and I hope that, um, we get more world building. Um, and I hope that there are some games that are coming out that will allow us to enjoy this. I would love to like a world builder, city builder um, type of game um, like No Man's Sky, but Star Wars version of No Man's Sky. That would be fun. OK, well, anyway, let's keep on going. Uh, the next article. <laughs> Uh, did the life form just uh, <laughs> blow up? <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Um, so uh, a double earthquake threat. Study finds two Seattle area faults ripped about the same time uh, with the Cascadia subduction zone parked off the coast and uh, shallow faults lurking underneath uh, most cities. The Puget Sound area already faces a daunting array of seismic scenarios. A new study adds another the possibility of uh, a one, two earthquake punch. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, the article is over at fizz.org and it's titled again, a double earthquake threat study finds two Seattle area faults ripped about the same time. I don't know that I've um, ever heard that before in the news. Yeah, this is interesting. So Sandy Daunton from the Seattle times put the article together. Um, I don't know. The coastline is pretty rife with faults, you know, that all up and down the coast. It's a, it is a major rift zone anyway. Um, but two of them after the research is done showing that they almost, um, split at the same time. But I think what's going on is that the date is throwing it out of it being relevant to modern society, but it's an indicator that it could happen. Um, so using state-of-the-art tree ring and radiocarbon dating methods, researchers found that most of the recent er major earthquake on the Seattle Fault wasn't a solo act. The Saddle Mountain Fault, which slices through Olympic Peninsula near Lake Cushman, ruptured about the same time. The team was also able to narrow uh, down the date, which um, it says with stunning precision, which actually threw it around 923 AD in the spring of the following year, almost exactly 1100 years ago so it's so old that this isn't really something that people are going to be losing sleep over and that's probably why it wasn't reported anywhere uh, the results were published wednesday in the journal science advances but it's an indicator of what could happen what well, were right. the what was the impact of this 
Um, the project, which spanned more than five years and included divers and underwater chainsaws to sample trees drowned by the quakes uh, in a scientific tour de force, nearly unprecedented in seismology, which I find really fascinating because they argued well enough to find funding to narrow down to 1100 years ago, a subduction zone earthquake that impacted hey, the coastline. And what did that proposal look like? We're going to uh, use underwater chainsaws. I don't know. <laughs> um, what I really want to know, though, I want that that uh, presentation deck, that slide deck, because I could probably just plop that on any grant funding application and they'd go, oh, okay, here you go. Exactly. I mean, they must have been very skilled uh some skilled writing, right? or whatever. Yeah. I don't mean like making it up, but just weaving a, like, this uh, is what we need to do. An amazing narrative. Yep. Indeed. Yes. Um, so the chance of in any given year is not high and there's no reason to freak out because of this study, uh, says Tobin, who is, um, Harold Tobin, director of the Pacific Northwest seismic network at the university of Washington. The seismic double whammy, uh, would be, much more damaging than any single quake, especially to old brick and concrete buildings and vulnerable bridges and infrastructure. And yeah, that's pretty typical of anything. But again, Tobin says um, that there's no need to worry, but it underscores that there, these things, these are things that we need to be prepared for, which is exactly what I was saying. Um, a 2005 analysis estimated a relatively modest magnitude 6.7 quake on the Seattle Fault could kill 1,600 people, destroy nearly 10,000 buildings, and cause up to 50 billion in economic losses. If they both ruptured, the resulting quake would clock in at 7.8, nearly 40 times more powerful and affect a much bigger area. Yeah, I can imagine. So there is a lot more to this article, uh, but it goes into the history of the the quake, the area, and what might happen. Um, so I'll leave that to you, dear viewers and citizens of hometown, to go and check it out. Come back and talk with us. Give us your thoughts. That'd be great. That's I mean, the good news is that the West Coast, at least modern construction, is generally built to withstand pretty severe earthquakes. Yeah, it's not. But if there's older structures or highly populated areas, I could see that could be a, a major yeah. issue. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not mud huts or anything like that from 1,100 years ago, sitting on the coastline. Yeah, they did a lot of work. Uh, tree rings and chainsawing underwater and all kinds of samples all over the place, apparently. Um, huh, pretty cool. Yeah, I want that. I want whatever that pitch deck was. Okay, let's do that again. <laughs> On to the next article. Uh, this next article is over in hometown daily. Amazon sent an email that sounded like a gift card scam to warn about gift card scams, confusing customers. Amazon customers flooded social media, confused about an email telling them that they bought gift cards. The email warned the recipients about gift card scams, but the email itself sounded like a scam. Social media users said that they received the email, even though they never bought gift cards. Uh, Amazon apparently sent out emails to hundreds of people thanking them for gift card purchases they never made and telling them to be wary of scams. And then it made it over to Reddit 
Kenneth Neymeyer um, over at businessinsider.com put the article together. And it says here that a social media user said that they received the email, even though they never even bought gift cards. So I've received stuff like that because I've looked at gift cards. And so it triggered the account to send me a notice. Exactly. But I still think it's kind of alarming when it's like, hey, there's some spam and then it looks like spam. Yeah, I'm not sure what I'm watching here. Um, anyway, the Reddit community devoted to talking about scams was flooded with people worried about emails from Amazon that they received yesterday, thanking them for gift card purchases for services the, such as Google Play, Hotels.com, MasterCard. One person's wife received three emails from Amazon regarding recently purchased Amazon gift cards, logged into the account, didn't click any links. Uh, and there's nothing in her purchase history to suggest it. So, and that's what I would suggest you do. If you get something that might be scammy, don't click anything in the email, even if it is a legit email. If it triggers you, first off, if you're not expecting an email, don't click on anything. You can review it, but don't click on a damn thing in it. Um, if it tells you to go to a website and it's not the website that you would normally go to, don't go to it. You can mouse over a link and read what its content is without clicking the link. Um, you know, look at the URL, not the don't don't just randomly click it. And what I call it, it's a, a phrase called click with care. Pay attention to what it is, and that alone will save you a lot of heartache. A lot of sophisticated email spam can come across like it is legit um i just recently got one where they basically made the url as close as possible before it ended up basically being shut down because it was so close people started reporting it really fast um, when it's obvious that it's a, a spam email people just delete it um, and they don't necessarily report it but when it's really close they start reporting it and then it gets blocked anyway um just be really careful be aware it, it it really isn't that hard it takes a moment to pay attention and another moment to ignore all of what people have been warning you about and when you click on it and you type in some credentials now they own you uh and it's very hard to claw that back very very hard indeed and still to this day, there's somebody that is using my email, <laughs> even though I've sent their mom an email saying that they are not the one that owns that email account. Um, but you think that would have been enough. <laughs> yeah. um, but I also don't want to sit there and uh, come across like uh, I have other personally ident identifiable information and then, you know, it becomes a thing. Well, anyway, pay attention. Don't click on stuff. Uh, and when it's click a spam, with care. Yep, click with care and talk to somebody just like they did here. Uh, although, I mean, it's Reddit and the people that are on Reddit are devoted to talking about spams um, and scams. Uh, it may not be the easiest thing to initiate a conversation because you have to create accounts um, or you have to sift through a lot of noise. So good luck. Um, but Amazon, you got to change your ways.
in many ways. Lower your price too. Prime is outrageous. <laughs> yes, it's it's about double what it used to be. Yep. Not too long ago. Yep. Um, so uh, the next article is over on Technology Today. Apple reportedly has ingredients to create its own search engine, according to CNET. Such an offering could bring Apple a new revenue stream, suggests Bloomberg's Mark Gurman. Um, Mark Gurman has been a, an Apple aficionado for as long as I can remember, um, you know, 25 years plus. And uh, I don't think they really talk bad about Apple ever. Well, Steve Musel over at, um, or it might be Muscle, I'm not sure, um, over at CNET.com put this article together. And we had actually talked about it previously that Apple sought to create its own search engine and was on, hot, hot on the heels of buying Bing, um, but it just didn't manifest. But a search engine is not that hard in its neophyte era of existence you know and when it's young and uh just starting up it's really easy to have the ingredients of a search engine getting the content jammed in there is something that's very very expensive and getting the reach where the content is being reported into said search engine is very very hard because you're not going to be able to pay people to place the ads until you have a critical mass. That's kind of what happened with Google. Um, Google instantly went critical because it was the go-to search engine. You put in some tracking code, it notified the crawler, the crawler came and scanned your website. They gave it context. They, basically canonized your particular brand in a little window of text. And when somebody did a search on Google, I was going to say Bing, there you have your results. <laughs> but maybe that's what Bing is all about. Anyway, I don't uh, know what Bing is all about, <laughs> having used it. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, well, I won't go into what it's for, but the um, this article says Google has been the iPhone's default search engine for more than a decade, with the web giant reportedly paying Apple between eight and twelve billion dollars a year as part of the deal. Eight and twelve billion dollars. Well, I mean, I can see why they're kind of interested in doing this on their own, but think how many years Google has been around. Like, I think it would be very challenging, even for a company like Apple start that up now yeah well i mean but apple is getting paid eight to twelve billion dollars i guess what what would be the reverse <clears throat> oh i'm sorry i thought it was the other way around yeah no 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 see apple is getting paid eight to twelve billion dollars because the search giant google is getting massive like on benefit. apple products or whatever yeah so but why says, would apple then be interested in doing this because then they're in charge. They're getting paid everything that uh, Google would be paid by all of the advertisers. Because you pay into a kitty to get your ad distributed across the Google network, uh, Google AdSense, um, and then there's Google AdWords. And 
Uh, one is tracking for relevance for search engines, and then one is for advertising onto those uh, websites that put the, the code in, the ad code. So Apple would basically start getting the revenue that would normally go to Google. And that's more lucrative than the eight to $12 billion because, well, it has to be. Why would Google pay Apple more than it's worth to advertise through Apple? Um, it says the deal is complicated by US government charges that Google maintains a monopoly on online search or in online search and online ads, which I've always thought is silly because the reason why Google is so powerful is not because it's forcing the hand of people because you can put, you know, well, you can put other people's ads on your site. Um, as far as I know, there's no exclusivity. If you have a Google ad, you can have something else there too. Um, and I know, well, I, I don't really have ads. I have one ad on hometown. Um, well, at any rate, the idea for this would be that Apple would make more than $12 billion a year in revenue but it's going to pay out a ton to ramp that up and get its tracking code all over the place and then have to um, integrate its iAd because it has an ad service, iAd, um, that I guess would integrate into this. I wonder if they actually talk about this thing. They say while calling such a move a long shot, German points out that Apple has already provided a glimpse of what such an app uh, offering would look like having already built search engines into services such as app store maps apple tv and news as part of the possible effort apple has a team that's been creating next generation search engine codenamed pegasus and the technology is being developed under the supervision of john gianandria um apple's senior vice president of machine learning and ai more accurately surface results so it'll be interesting. Um, yeah, they're not going to report back out that they've got a search engine. They never talk about that stuff. Probably uh, these moonshots in particular. Um, this is a big complex project and until it has traction, I don't see them advertising any of this. How long do you think it could be till they actually have one? Um, I, at least five years before anything really comes out of this. Yeah, I can't imagine that's actually being announced anytime sooner, but we'll see. We'll keep an eye on it and report out what everybody else is reporting. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in hometown daily tech workers are paying up to $700 a month for tiny bed pods in San Francisco, AKA coffin hotels, probably. This is cyberpunk as cyberpunk can get, but I haven't actually seen the picture. So let's go straight on over. Yep. It's coffin hotels. Um, Nathan Reynolds over at uh, businessinsider.com put this article together. And this is like a bachelor pad in Japan coffin. That's hotels. exactly. It looks like Japan lodging. Yeah. And, and the, the ones that are in Japan, I think are a little bit more clinical than this. They're actually narrower, but they have more beeps and whistles inside. Um, and uh, 
this is just this is too this is too open to me it just seems really weird oh um, they don't close off at all it doesn't look like it they might have these little no these are handles so i don't think this actually closes off unless it's like a garage no i don't see anything that would close i don't know it's bunk beds anyway uh startup founders are paying up to 900 a month to stay in tiny four feet tall bed pods just sounds weird to say it the tiny spaces only fit one twin bed run on monthly contracts and don't need a deposit residents have to share five bathrooms in some common areas but there's no kitchen this is getting ridiculous like we've seen some crazy real estate we saw a balcony for sale um yeah what not was... in san francisco but just in general there was a balcony for sale in one place a stairwell oh yeah stairwell that that one was interesting there was another one though wasn't there um there was but i can't remember the specifics i mean we've seen some interesting new york like the tiny lodging yeah, the balcony one was really interesting. Oh, and I like the one in New York where you had to go across somebody else's apartment to get to the bathroom. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, you had to walk through somebody else's apartment to to get to a bathroom. Um, but it that other area that you were renting wasn't part of the apartment that you had to walk through. That one was really weird. And it was expensive, like $4,000 or something. That was crazy. So the pods, which are made by brownstone, only fit one twin bed, and those staying have to make do with a full kitchen or without a full kitchen or a laundry machine, um, while also sharing five bathrooms. The bed pods are arranged in uh, two high like dorms and run on monthly contracts. Why is this? Why is this a thing? And why does society accept this? One resident tech startup founder christian lewis who created the ai firm spellcraft said the tiny spaces got a little toasty but he had enjoyed a restful eight hour sleep he and others trying to launch ai careers in san francisco praised the accommodation in an interview with abc7 news particularly for the networking opportunities they offered with other pod dwellers <laughs> pod dwellers i guess i, guess I was thinking this is specifically because the lodging rates are just ridiculous in san francisco or have been but that's just it's i don't know like i like the tiny homes in the backyards better than i like pods this the here's the weird statement here our private beds have 40 percent more room than typical bunk beds and come with individual lights privacy curtains uh temperature controlled fans and other essentials the company's website uh, says 40% more room than a typical bunk bed. Man, I'm a startup of a, I'm, I'm the CEO of a startup and I'm sitting there sharing a bunk bed because it, I'm hot bunking my bed because I want to network with others that are in the startup community. I, it seems kind of dystopian. It seems kind of crazy, but you know, I haven't been in that playground in a long time now, but I'm not going to sit there. I would never have done this at all. I guess I'm just not driven, you know. I don't know. Some people might call me lazy. Rent costs in the tech hub city 
of San Francisco are sky high with the median price of a studio apartment at $2,200 a month per real estate marketplace Zillow. But I would easily pay $2,200 a month for a studio apartment if it meant that I would have some privacy. I'd have my own kitchen or kitchenette. I'd have my own uh, dual uh, washer dryer that is mi micro, might be micro in size, but it's still mine. Um, Lewis shared photos of his as Lewis shared photos of his experience in one of the pods on the website formerly known as Twitter um, earlier this month. And uh, there's a link, but I won't do it. Uh, I'll let you all do it. Um, people are getting, quote, here's the, a quote. Uh, people are getting a little bitchy, but I'm not sure what for. I'm just trying to stay within the city of San Francisco without paying $4,000 a month or getting stabbed. And I think this is a great solution so far, he wrote. There's a lot of cool people here, too. Sure. There you go. And that's why everything's fine. And I have no problem with somebody else doing it, but I'm not that driven, I guess. This is, not I mean, pretty wild. I just, I do not understand this. And yes, this is very much from like a dystopian movie. Yep. It just, it, I mean, it has a prettier paint job. That's all. It's not as gritty. Um, but people but are buying think of it over time. Who's <laughs> yeah, maintaining really. it? Yeah. I mean, it's just like every restaurant, you know, uh, a restaurant that just started out five weeks ago is spectacular in service, food quality, etc., And then 15 years, 20 years later, you basically are, are going, Hey, I would like, you know, the chicken cacciatore and a side of botulism. Let's go on to the next article. So the next article is over in hometown daily, the October 22, the, the October 2023 solar eclipse is known as a ring of fire. Here's what that means when it's happening and how to see it. Let's just go straight on over to business insider. Morgan McFall Johnson and Maya Focht is the, are the authors. And uh, that looks cool. That right there. Yeah, that does. Uh, this is an annual, an annular solar eclipse as seen by Japan's Hinode um, spacecraft. So it actually has a little sensor, a uh, little filter that covers most of the eclipse. That actually might be a false eclipse, not an actual. Um, but don't hold me to that because you can it can be replicated. You can um, fake it just by blocking out. Anyway, uh, so it says an annular solar eclipse will cast a shadow on the sun and make a ring of fire in the October 14th sky. In the western U.S., about 68 million people will have a rare opportunity to see the eclipse. Um, there's a, an... A, don't follow the advice of some presidents or a president that says, go ahead and look at it. Don't look at the sun ever. Um, here's what causes a solar eclipse, how often they happen and how to watch without burning your eyes. Um, so here's the date, October 14th, solar eclipse coming to the Western U S it's actually going to be a range of areas. Um, but it says it's going to cast its shadow across the southwest to reach San Antonio, Texas around noon. 
Uh, but it's going to begin in Portland, Oregon. I don't know where all it's going to end up, ultimately. It may be your last opportunity to see the sun swallowed in shadow for two decades. Because it all depends on where you are. There apparently are solar eclipses all the time. But you have to be in different places. So no doubt the eclipse will be breathtaking for viewers on the ground too. Here's everything you need to know before the sun goes dark. So what is it? A solar eclipse occurs when the moon passes between the sun and the earth, blocking the sun from our views for a few fleeting minutes. Um, when everything lines up just right, with the moon at the right distance to cover the sun's entire disk, we get a total solar eclipse. The reverse lunar eclipses um, facilitate the same way, except different shadow. Pardon me. Um, so the ring of fire comes from the sun's cr uh, chromosphere, a layer of its atmosphere where hydrogen atoms emit a reddish light. Um, and let's see, solar eclipses happen every year, but seeing them is rare because sometimes they happen out in the ocean um, and you're just not there for it. Um, any one spot on the U.S. gets a total solar eclipse every 400 years, according to the museum, Natural History Museum specifically, a total eclipse occurs roughly every 18 months, but partial eclipses are all the time. Um, the U.S. gets its next eclipse, April 2024. That eclipse will be total, and it'll cut across the eastern U.S. from Texas to Maine, which is awesome. Um, after that... Especially since it only happens every 400 years. Don't miss it. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Um, every part... Oh, oh. Yeah, like, every every like spot a on Earth, city or whatever. Yeah. yeah, every spot on Earth gets a total gets to see a total total solar eclipse every 400 years, according to the museum. Uh, I'm sure they calculate that based on the rotation around um, the Earth. So, where to see the solar eclipse and stand in its umbra, which is the shadow? Um, that's where you want to be, depending on where you are in this. Uh, area of shadow you'll either see a partial or a complete eclipse um, so it says about 68 million people live within a two-hour drive of the eclipse path according to alex lockwood of nasa's science mission directorate uh, she said that the entire contiguous u.s will be able to see a partial solar eclipse though the moon may just barely overlap the sun in many places so towards the edges um the path of the October 2023 annular solar eclipse and the 2024 solar eclipse, right? So if you're on the East Coast, you're not going to see anything until next year. Um, so be ready. So how do you see this? Oh, that's funny. The, <laughs> the article actually has our <laughs> a former president sitting there staring at the sun with a caption that says, don't do this. And you didn't know that when you mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not. Um, so instead, you get a pair of Eclipse glasses, ones that are actually certified for Eclipses. Don't go to eBay or Amazon um, or uh, well, anywhere. Don't, don't go anywhere without verifying that these are legitimate. Um, if you get the wrong glasses, then uh, high-energy UV can still penetrate um, and essentially create a hot spot. Uh, on your eye, on the back of your eye, it, it can actually cause damage. So 
make sure that you get legitimate ones. Um, I don't know where they're going to have them for sale, so I really can't tell you exactly. The National Park Service advises against using any solar filter that's torn, scratched, wrinkled, coming loose from its frame, or made before 2015. It all degrades. Make sure that the solar filter in your glasses or handheld viewer has an ISO 12, uh, 12312-2 colon 2015 certification. That's, those are all the numbers. Um, and again, I, I had no idea that they were going to put all of this information in the article. The manufacturer's name and address should be visible on the product too. But even that, I wouldn't trust. Try. No, there were known fakes last time there was a major eclipse. Correct. And uh, we will do our best um, in the coming days to um, find a legitimate source um, and um, and draw some more attention to that source. Uh, that's the best that I could do because I don't know of any that are already certified and available. Um, alternatively, you can avoid the whole thing about staring into the sun because you uh, want to look at it uh, through blackened lenses um, and create a projector. So you basically poke a little hole in the shadow from the the light being emitted around the, the the shadow from the sun will go through this little poked hole and you see it on a piece of white paper or something um, and you don't look directly at it that way it isn't the bright light and UV just bombarding your eyeball um, and there are a bunch of extra instructions out there including uh, a NASA guide to make a projector out of cardstock and aluminum foil that you can use a kitchen colander to project a pinhole and watch the moon creep across the sun. So there's lots of things out there to do this little pinhole box. I uh, said so that you can watch it without um, burning your eyes out. You know, you you should always try not to do that. Yep. You only have one set of eyes, folks, so take good care of them. Okay, let's keep on going. I think that I have fallen off the cart here in terms of posting the articles so let me uh, back up a little bit um let's see okay so i need to throw this one into the chat sorry folks for the weird kind of dead air kind of thing going on here um and then this one is about the a weird bed thing in San Francisco. It's me saying weird. And I'm sure that there are people out there that appreciate it. But uh, I don't think most adults appreciate the bunk bed open air style. See, now what I would prefer is that this type of thing be facilitated for the unhoused. And absolutely. And, uh, you know, those who can, and I don't know, it seems like it's extremely valuable real estate that could facilitate society in a different way. But I mean, I get it. There's a profit motive and they're providing a service to people who can pay for it. But I don't know, man. Uh, I don't know. And I see it all the time. I wish that I could do more. Um, 
anyway, let, let me, let's just go. Um, so I don't think I hit the button. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, gotta move on. I'll start soapboxing. So the next article is over in the mobile channel. Um, wait, did I talk about it? The actual source? Yeah, I did. Okay. So, um, the next article is over in the mobile channel Kaiser Permanente workers prep for possibility of largest health care strike in us history. So oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah, here we go again. Um, another strike, another day. Um, again, my, my problem with this is not that people are striking. They deserve to strike if, and it makes everybody better off when an organization realizes that it's abusing its employees. And, and I've gotten into these discussions in the past where somebody says, well, just go and find another gig. Well, that's not, it's easier said than done. And if you just leave, then the abuse doesn't change. You're condoning the abuse by walking away and letting the employer remain unscathed and massively profitable for themselves on the backs of the people that are making the job fulfilled. They're, they're getting hired to do a job and then they're stagnating there or they're being pushed because if you don't, it's insubordination and it's termination for cause or whatever else. There's an empower, there's a balance of an imbalance of power and there's a lack of bargaining power. So you can't just sit there and say, Hey, look, I'm going to go get another job if you don't pay me more, because they're going to go, well, we can hire somebody else. Okay. So what do you do then? You have to go out and find a job <laughs> without any salary, without any, anything you lose your health care, which is ironic. Um, or you have to pay a massive bump in how much that health insurance was because now you're a single person and you have no bargaining power for your health care. Um, but when you join a union and there is perceived imbalance of power, the union speaks on everybody's behalf. The coalition of Kaiser Permanente unions, which represents over 85,000 healthcare workers in seven states and the District of Columbia said Saturday that it had not yet reached an agreement with the organization setting a stage for the possibility of the largest healthcare strike in US history late this week. So in comes hell, Miranda Nazaro over at the Hill, uh, put this article together and, uh, I, the music, you know, I don't know what you're going to be able to do, right? We've got, you know, transportation industry on strike. We've got the writers on strike. Well, they've, they've just, got they just finalized theirs. They just okay. So we've got the actors on strike. So there you go. There you go. We've yeah. got video game workers on strike. I think museum workers. Yeah. Maybe they're just unionized, not striking. Hospitality, like, right? I mean, it's just kind of everything. It is. Yep. The coalition national. The coalition's national bargaining team submitted a ten-day notice to Kaiser Permanente executives on September twenty-second calling for strikes to begin Wednesday at 6 a.m. if they do not come to an agreement by then. 
More than 75,000 healthcare workers across California, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, Virginia, and DC are expected to be involved in the strikes, which would make it the largest healthcare worker strike in US history. And, and so here, I never really finished my statement about this. The reason why I'm really bent out of shape about this is not because it's a union action. That's fine. I'm bent out of shape about this because the consolidation of power and influence and profit has led to 85,000 people working for one healthcare system that in a moment's notice, because of extended abuses of the employee base, can walk and shut down healthcare. Kaiser Permanente uh, manages hospitals, massive medical complexes, and every strata of healthcare. <laughs> well, right. And I mean, we're going into the flu season. We're yeah. probably going to have an uptick in COVID because it's the winter. Um, 45 days just... from now, the government may shut down, which is also going to impact healthcare because medical systems that are getting grant funded or provide public service care they're not going to be able to provide it because nobody's getting any money and when nobody is working at kaiser permanente they go to the public services which aren't going to be available kaiser and the coalition last negotiated a contract in 2019 a year before healthcare workers were put into the front lines of the pandemic and forced to work through worsening conditions yeah Uh, in a May survey, 33,000 healthcare workers by the services, uh, Service Employees International Union United Healthcare Workers West, around two-thirds of, uh, said that they witnessed delays in or denial of care due to understaffing. So, again, the reason why this is happening is because people are being pushed beyond their limits. We only have so much bandwidth. You can't say no or you lose your job. It's very lucrative to be in healthcare at various levels of healthcare. And it isn't so easy to, well, I'll just go and get another job. Well, you can't really do that because the next hospital, because of consolidation, is owned by the very people who just let you go. Well, exactly. And plus, I mean, we already have tons of healthcare worker shortages as it is. So, uh, you know, I don't know what this is going to do. Like the industry is already not in good shape. Yep. Kaiser told the Hill that it had hired 50,000 frontline employees in the last two years, including more than 9,800 workers represented by the coalition. In April, the nonprofit said it agreed with the coalition to a goal of hiring 10,000 new people for coalition represented jobs by the end of 2023. And the nonprofit said it expects to reach that goal by the end of October. Well, congratulations. Well, they want more money. They want a better work-life balance. Look, it's getting rough out there. Um, but the main component of this is mergers and acquisitions and the consolidation of profit into fewer and fewer hands. It's almost as if we're reverting to the whole kings and fiefdom kind of existence. And um, I don't know. I think it's a little twisted for modern society to be like this. Uh, okay, so let's keep on going. Um, I don't want to soapbox. 
The next article is over in the Continuity Report. What is The Sorcerer's Apprentice based on? Disney's inspiration is explained. It's an article over at Screen Rant. By the way, I had to look at this because uh, The Sorcerer's Apprentice is actually a really fun movie. I've watched it several times. Um, I've always made the uh, assumption that it was based on the Disney Sorcerer's Apprentice. There's even a little riff um, where the Sorcerer's Apprentice uses magic to, which, by the way, is not magic in the normal sense they actually kind of neuter the mystical aspect of it by saying that it's actually science-based you just have the ability right like they use the test the coils and everything and they even refer to magic as being a formula a mathematical formula um, where you can learn to control it uh, because you understand physics not that you are Although in the movie, the person is kind of ordained the next uh, sorcerer's apprentice because they have the ability to interact with a particular ring. Um, but the, uh, the, the movie really tries to pull it away from being fantastical. Uh, Seb Flato, I guess, is their name, or Flato. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce their last name, but uh, over at ScreenRant.com put the article together. So you've seen this movie. What do you think of this movie? Just at, uh, at first glance. Well, um, I think it's a fun movie. Um, I like how it weaves some science through it. It's entertaining. Um, yeah, I never thought. really knew what the origin was, but I kind of assumed it was just based on something else, like in the Disney Yeah, so it arena. goes... And if you've ever looked really into Disney, what Disney has done is always reached back into uh, much further back lore. Like Grimm's fairy tales or things like that. Correct. Um, And when you look at Grimm's fairy tales, they're actually horrendous. And what Disney has done is kind of like, um, like Harry Potter fied, you know, made it fantastical, but still has it tied firmly to the historical context so it says here you know disney the sorcerer's apprentice was inspired by a nicholas cage movie called next where cage played a las vegas magician this context is kind of weird because he was in a movie called next where he played a las vegas magician went to the writer of that i think it's the writer and said hey i'd like to um make a, a Disney movie or no, I'd like to make a, a, the sorcerer's apprentice kind of a movie. And they said, well, let's couch it within Disney. And lo and behold, the sorcerer's apprentice came into existence because of the Mickey mouse sorcerer's apprentice. Oh, like Fantasia. Yes. Specifically the segment called the sorcerer's apprentice. So in the sorcerer's apprentice, from fantasia there's a segment called the sorcerer's apprentice mickey mouse uses a broom enchants a broom um, but it starts flooding the magician's chamber just like what happens in the sorcerer's apprentice movie and uh, mickey mouse chops up the broom breaks it all up with an axe Um, but that just exacerbates the problem 
and then the master wizard comes home and dispels everything casts everything back into its normal shape and that's what happens in the sorcerer's apprentice but it's all um real right it, it's like it, it isn't animated and so it's really fantastical kind of um cinematography and they use tesla coils and technology and other things um so it's a lot of fun to watch it and i i really wish that they would have been able to make it something but <laughs> i think that the way that the the movie was constructed was that it was too firmly couched in fantasia and so it could never get any traction it just wasn't possible because it was it was the entire story was opened and closed in that movie whereas things like harry potter um opened the door to more movies and more books and there was incredible writing throughout it um you know to hell with all of the um like wacky perspective of the author um which didn't come into existence apparently until after they were a billionaire and that just speaks to my uh my i guess an ideology that as you become filthy rich you become sociopathic um yet you can do great good you just say some crazy shit um so it says here unfortunately for the studio the sorcerer's apprentice became one of Disney's biggest box office bombs. And I think it's just not approachable. It starts out as a because it's so fast in its tracking. It goes from a child being kind of bullied um, for thinking that they're a wizard and seeing things in New York uh, to being a college student that is focused on engineering, the antithesis of magic, right? So distanced away that they were able to sit there and go, well, I'm not that person anymore. And, you know, I talked to somebody and fixed the problem. Um, and, and then the next thing, you know, they're a master sorcerer saving the universe from Balthazar, not Balthazar. What is the other person? Uh, I forgot it. It's Morgana. Uh, Mar I think Morgana. Um, ultimately it's Morgana, uh, Le Fay at the, at the bottom of the, the, uh, what do you call it? The um, is it the, Maxim Horvath? That's the that's the first person that Balthazar fights. And then um, Morgana Le Fay, yes. Yeah, and, and they were all trapped inside this vessel that they broke from. Anyway, um, the origin of all of this, though, uh, which I had known um, after looking into this a, a while back was the 2010 film and its Fantasia precursor originate from a 1797 ballad, The Sorcerer's Apprentice by famed German poet, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. The events of the poem are largely the same as in Fantasia's recreation. The young apprentice loses control of an enchanted broom, accidentally multiplies it by chopping it up with an ax only to be saved by his returning master. Since Fantasia is solely interested in animated pieces of classical music, the segment also owns its existence to French composer Paul Ducas' 1987, or sorry, 1897 work of music titled The Sorcerer's Apprentice, a, a symphonic adaptation of the poem, which can be heard in both Fantasia and The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Dun, dun, dun. 
So I there, did not know that. There's more, much more uh, minutia in this article. Um, so definitely follow the link through hometown, check it out, and um, show screen ransom. Um, appreciation there. Go on over there and have a good time. Okay, so let's go on to the last article for today. It is uh, Reality Hacker. And I wanted to be able to spend more time with this, but I think um, I'm just going to run through this really quick. Uh, the the article is over in Reality Hacker. It's a, a whole channel that I am hoping to spin up um, as we approach uh, what I refer to as the summer of streaming, um, where I spend a large amount of time streaming each day. And uh, one of the channels that I'm going to be spinning up is Reality Hacker, which focuses on VR, uh, AR, XR, um, and uh, also artificial intelligence, computer graphics, audio manipulation, etc. Um, things that are much more approachable now than when I first purchased the domain Reality Hacker <laughs> decades ago. So September is a busy month for VR. They reviewed this, the author here, uh, reviewed Out of Hand, Behind the Frame, VR, Toss, Dungeons of Eternity, Hellsweeper. They published their Gamescom 2023 impressions. And then they put this together, which uh, it's over at uploadvr.com, which is a fairly new source for us. Um, again, we don't take everything that they provide. We only have a little snippet because we want you to go over and hang out at their site. But we also want to talk to you about it here at Twitch, twitch.tv slash hometown. Uh, come and hang out every day at 8 p.m., please. Henry Stockdale over at uploadvr.com uh, put this article together and they kind of recap what they did last month, September. Um, but October is going to have a whole bunch of new VR related materials. I have had several um, VR headsets in my life. I used to do VR research um, in phobia treatment, pain management, and a thing called hypereducation, which is essentially subliminal learning. And um, the idea of embracing VR more is uh, something that I hope that everybody does that the, the the world of computing does have room for VR and it only gets bigger in VR. The world really does get more immersive um, and it's always fun. So they have this huge list <laughs> and I do mean a huge list. They're going to be talking about things coming out for the Quest, PC VR, PS VR 2, and the Pico, which is the one that I have. I also am waiting for the new index to drop. I had the previous index. Um, so the very first one that they talk about on October 3rd, which is only two days away, folks, Waltz of the Wizard, um, developed by Alden. Waltz of the Wizard is an older experience that they previously called one of the best quest hand tracking games offering a sorcerer's apprentice style workshop in VR. Okay, that's pretty weird. <laughs> we didn't know that when we selected this article. Isn't that neat? So Yeah. So um, so the AI had no idea that that connection was there. I found out that connection because I wanted to find out what all the rest of them were. 
um, because there's so many, I was looking for key things. I did not know that that was in there when I selected all the articles. In fact, um, until I was done selecting the articles, I had no idea that I bookended this thing with computer games on one side and VR on the other side. Um, so yeah, it, it's all basically <laughs> everything just lining up. So, uh, and I really, really, truly do love VR. It's so much fun. My problem is that the way that it works is usually some company with VR, uh, hardware, specifically funds a project and then uh, traps it in its walled garden. And so you will never see Walt of the Wizard on PC VR until it's old school and the contract for the PS VR 2 has ended and they've decided that they're going to extend it to get some more market. But I'm not going to buy a PS VR or a PS, a PlayStation and the PSVR just so that I can play this one game. It just doesn't work for me. Anyway, um, so this is coming out for the PSVR. Then Dungeons of Eternity comes out in October 5th. I'm not going to be able to go through all of these, um, but a Stellaris game is coming out in uh, VR on October 5th. Red Matter, which has already been out for PC, uh, for a considerable amount of time is coming out on October 5th. Um, so they say following May's release of Red Matter 2 on PSVR, Vertical Robot is now bringing the original VR puzzle um, to the, the modern headset, uh, upgrading it all. Uh, BAM is um, a mixed reality um, game for the Quest 3. All of these are coming out in October. And I'm going to do something kind of weird. So I'm going to scroll through these really fast. So Blink, First Encounter, Piano Vision um, teaches you to play piano, Puzzling Places, Genotype, Pixel Ripped, which is actually a PC game, is now coming out to PlayStation, VR, Tennis on Court, Snow Wars, The Seventh Guest VR, which is supposed to be really cool adapts the original point and click adventure into a fully immersive experience <clears throat> the wizards dark times brotherhood um, which there was a, a pc version of a previous wizards game which i have um, now it's being updated the brotherhood uh, update brings a remastered version of the wizards dark times to quest and pc vr i hope that they actually update the version that I have because right now it's not as optimized for VR. So it's kind of a broken experience. <clears throat> Dungeon Full Dive uh, feels more like a tabletop tool set than a game recreating Dungeons and Dragons 5e. I'm all over that. Vertigo 2, Ghostbusters Rise of the Ghost Lore is, <coughs> I'm so sorry, is coming October 26th, just in time for Halloween. I'll be getting that. Um, but it's only for PSVR 2 and Quest, but I believe that there's a version of it coming out for um, PC, not particularly Ghostbusters Rise of the Ghost Lord, but a Ghostbusters game for VR. Journey to Foundation. Um, this, it is. Developed by Archaeact, um, or Archaeact, 
Um, Journey to Foundation is a narrative-focused VR sci-fi adventure. You play as Agent Ward, who possesses unique mentalic abilities that lets them sense and manipulate the emotions of others. Every choice carries a consequence and affects your story. And if you've never heard of Foundation, you're going to want to do a Google search um, and pull up. Uh, it's a TV series now, um, but it was a, a at least a I think it's a couple of books, not just one. Um, and it has a fascinating amount of world building, just a spectacular amount of world building. And it's nothing like anything you've seen before short of maybe, maybe Warhammer 40 K. Um, like Warhammer is just massive. Um, but this might actually be like the predecessor to Warhammer in in scope. Um, and some of its dystopian nature too. So Warhammer though is just really fantastical. Did you find something that you wanted to talk about or? I mean, I think all of these sound really cool. I kind of like journey to foundation, at least based on the description. Yeah. I think that it'll be fun to check out. Um, and, but I'm, I'm kind of doing a, a poor job of describing what foundation is. Um, but once you, uh, hopefully I motivate you to do a quick search and, and pull up foundation, um, because the Apple TV series is fantastic. It's a lot of fun to watch. So go and check that out for sure. Um, and then there's something this out of all of these, the only one that I think is truly like out of the blue and unique is out of scale, a Kurzgesagt adventure. Why? Because Kurzgesagt is a YouTube content create creator. It's a website or I'm sorry, it's a channel on YouTube that discusses scientific matters with this artwork style. And now it's going to be a game. It's for the MetaQuest 3. So it's definitely couched in, you know, the its own walled garden. Um, but I have yet to see uh, another VR game that is born from a YouTube channel. It's just amazing. So uh, cheers there. And I think it'll be fun. And if anything is fantastical about it, it's probably going to be couched in science. Um, Out of Scale is an educational game that adapts the German studio's 2D videos into a VR experience. Players will utilize drones, scanner rays, and a multitude of other lab tools and gadgets to wind their way through several missions and confirms the YouTube description. So, um, and I think all of these have a YouTube video component that you can scroll through um, all of these examples and, or I should say trailers so that you can see what each one is about. So uploadvr.com did a great job. And by the way, I am probably halfway to two thirds, maybe to the bottom of this halfway to three quarters, I should say. This is a very extensive article. I mean, a lot of times these will have say three things. <laughs> yeah. The Foglands, Madison VR, Veil. Uh, Madison is a horror movie, or sorry, a horror, horror game that's on PC and on Steam right now, but Madison VR is its VR adaptation to it. Um, and with the new Steam VR beta that's in place, maybe by the time this drops, because it's supposed to be 
Halloween 2023. I don't know. Um, and then uh, Veil VR is Halloween 2023. It's coming for Quest, but Veil is already on Steam. Um, Glassbreakers, uh, Mythic Realms, which uh, I've heard some things about. I don't know if it's going to make it, but we'll see. It says October 2023 for Quest. Um, I thought that there is a Steam version of that coming. Phasmophobia is a PC game, but now you're going to get immersed in phasmophobia um it it will have optional steam vr support and they previously called it the best vr horror game available um, according to upload vr so this is going to be even more amazing than the way that it is played right now which is actually a flat screen but in vr you become the ghost hunter and you work with a team to try and find various types of ghosts in various types of houses and increasing complexity. It's going to be a blast. Um, Propagation Paradise Hotel, Room of Realities. All of these are towards the end of October. Um, Sanda de Amigo Virtual Party. I think you're going to be dancing through that. Yeah, featuring 40 songs and more uh, coming as post-launch DLC, downloadable content, track craft, and uh, that's it. Man, there are so many in here, so many videos for you to watch and little descriptions that give it a little bit more context. I'm scrolling all the way back up just to show you how long I could talk while <laughs> scrolling through this. <laughs> um, yeah, it's quite expensive. Mission accomplished. And let me tell you, that's just October, not the end of the year, not 2024. Why is October such a big month for VR? Is it, it just but, this year or? No, no, no. What What's going on seems to be that everybody was trapped in a box for two years and everybody developed stuff and started releasing it at the second half of 2023. Um, the last few months, it's just been bombarded with quality game, quality game, quality game, fun game. Even janky games are have been developed and released and people are having fun with them. So uh, October is no difference. I think that maybe November and December might fall flat, but I don't know. Um, I, I tend not to uh, deal with the rumor well. I, I like the facts. Um, so I hope that all of these are going to be fun, uh, but I won't know until reviews come in. I would love to just sit and play these games and talk with people uh, about it and interact so that I can do the world building with the whole community and stuff. But um, I guess I'm going to have to wait until the summer is streaming. Okay, so let's do this. We go all the way back to the main street of Omtown. We click the sign and we get a whole bunch of new articles. Uh, but today, I think I'm just going to call it quits. We're just going to not scroll through today's articles. Um, I can do it really fast, but um, I want to I want to let you go and uh, you can go enjoy the waning hours of Sunday. The only one that I did notice right off the top is Taylor Swift Stadium stop hikes up ticket prices for Chiefs Jets game. And why Taylor is that? Swift bump. <laughs> because you have to be the, careful. I guess plotting romance with uh some Kansas City Chiefs player. NFL player, yeah. So, and you got to be really careful about what you just said. It is not a Taylor Swift bump. Because if you talk about Taylor Swift's bump, 
Oh. People might think that she's pregnant. <laughs> I'm in a bump in the economy, a bump in prices, but yes. And no, that's not what I meant. <laughs> I guess somebody scored a touchdown. Anyway, that's it, folks. Dead silence. Even the AI is like, what the hell did you just say? <laughs> I didn't have any comments on no, that. No, <laughs> Taylor Swift is not pregnant as far as I know. It's just a rumor. Because it's the Taylor Swift bump. But I think it's oh to the price goodness. of the tickets. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about the pricing. <laughs> yeah, you heard it here first, folks. The Taylor Swift bump. All right. This will be the video that goes viral. <laughs> yeah. I'm Mayor Watch. That's hometown.com. And up there is the AI that's going to make this video go viral. Please know. Um, good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. Cheers, all. Bye-bye. Taylor Swift, boom.